You know the drill. Hello, Nikki. Hey, Selena. Okay, that was better. Mine sounded scary. <laughs> <I> know. <laughs> like, you know the drill. I'll murder you now. <laughs> <laughs> I won't, though. Good, thank you. <laughs> so we're off to a swimmingly it's good start. It's too close to Christmas. <laughs> After Christmas, maybe? Sure. That's usually when I'm like, whatever. Um, <laughs> so, first of all, I don't think that people understand, like, what it looks like when we're trying to get ourselves psyched up before we switch these mics on. <laughs> and I just want to say for the record that we need some good up-to-bat music. Oh, that's a good thought. Yeah. Yeah. So, for anyone who sends us texts about the show, <laughs> and you know who you are, um... What's some good up-to-bat music? We'll hear from you in March. It'll be wonderful. <laughs> I think it's probably supposed to be our theme music for the show. Yeah, but we don't get to hear it. We probably should play it before we start. We could do that. I Set was, the scene. Yeah. Or maybe like some karate kid. Like, you're the best. You're the best. <laughs> I can't promise I won't start air punching and... I, I think, punching myself. I think that's the point. Oh, right. That's what gets the energy Pounding up my and chest. out. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. So something. Next time. <laughs> Next time when I look at you and I go, oh, were we supposed to do something? <laughs> Weren't we supposed to have up, up to bat music? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I also have something else for you, which is the Proust survey is winding Yay. down. Oh, it's winding down? It I is. missed that part. Yay. I think we're nearing the end. Okay. So... Are you going to switch to Cosmo questions next? Like picking random Cosmo sex quizzes to ask me? Don't give me ideas. Because <laughs> <laughs> I am looking for something. Um, so, question 31. Good God. Just in case you're wondering how many questions have there been. What are your favorite names? Selena. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was wondering if you were going to say Nikki. <laughs> Mine. I love my children's names, Carolina and Landon, obviously. Yes. Uh, in the broader category of names that I love, I love names that mean something. My kids both have names that mean something, some kind of family tie or some kind of um, geographic tie. I love those. Carolina was actually supposed to be Savannah. But when the time came to name her, it felt like too many kids were named Savannah. Mm. So mm -hmm. I didn't name her that. Um, and I love the name Jacob. I don't know why I love that name. Hmm. But for a little boy, I loved that name. It's a good name. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, names are important. It's like one of the biggest decisions you'll make about having a baby. Like first you make the decision to have a baby and like own a life mm -hmm. uh, or own responsibility for a life. But then you have to think of something to name them. And there are criteria. Like... Um, some people have certain criteria. So Kyle had a criteria that they couldn't be shortened. So that's why actually Jacob is one of the names that sort of fell off the list because Jake. everybody would want to call him Jake. Mm -hmm. Kyle thinks it's unfair to name your child something that no one will call them. Um, and Kyle has a really strict set of rules. When, you ha when you're pregnant or your partner is pregnant, you also will find you have a very strict set of rules. It's, it won't occur to you until you actually have to do it. But then you'll think about the kids you knew in school. I have a friend who's a who was a kindergarten teacher. She has certain names. She wouldn't name her child because they were horrible children. Mm -hmm. So um, there are certain – and then like family gets involved. And sometimes family, are they'll try to convince you that a certain name – works and you might not want to associate your child's name with that or put something on them that's not fair and so there are it's hard it's oh, hard yeah oh yeah uh 
how do you think I got the name Selena in 1985? <laughs> That's because my mom flew through the list and she was like, she was a B, she was oh, a B. Oh, yeah. I get it. Because my dad wanted to name me Jennifer and breaking Kyle's rule, call me Jen. So, really? Yep. But here, no. that, none of that happened. Now it's just Selena Sal. See, I love shortened names. I think they're adorable. Me too. Like Jennifer, Jenny is so cute to me. I think that's adorable. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we weren't allowed to do that. So. Well. What are your favorite names other than Jennifer and Selena? Well, a name that I have loved for as long as I can remember is Aurora. That's a nice name. Um, Sleeping Beauty. I, mm. you know, I loved it when I was a kid. I still love it. Um, and so I just always thought that was so unique and like, um, that was like what I wanted to name. I don't know why. Even when I was like ten, I'd be like, "When I have kids, you're ten. <laughs> and of course, like no kids. <laughs> so let you that started be a lesson. Too soon, <laughs> right? I'm like, never mind. <laughs> Do you want to name your kid Aurora? When I have a dog, I'm gonna name him Aurora. Maybe. <laughs> um, I also like boys' names on girls. Mm-hmm. I just think it's so cute. Yeah. Um, and so I know that's not an exact name, <laughs> but it's just more of like an idea. Yeah. Um, but I really like that. And then I like, um, I, I don't like classic names. Mm-hmm. So Olivia comes to mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, so I feel like I should throw out a boy's name. I mean, I always like the name like Alexander. Mm-hmm. I like names with like three syllables. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know why, because that's going to be tough for kids to pronounce. <laughs> a teacher is always going to get it wrong. And I'm sure some other reason they'll hate it. They can't spell it until they're like 12. But if you like it, it works. Carolina gets Carolina all the time. Or mm-hmm. Caroline. Mm-hmm. But Landon learned to say her name very easily when he was little. He calls her Carolina. Mm-hmm. But he can say it. Yeah. And if you like it, that's all that matters. That's all that matters. We had a glimpse. I can't remember now where I saw it, but a business person somewhere recently was named Landon. And it's not a name you run across very often, but it was a very like professional, wherever I saw it was a very professional person. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's what Landon's going to look like one day. And it's just like that, his name, we named him a good name. It feels solid. I feel like Landon could really pull off a bow tie. I think he could. Yeah. Hmm. I think, I think he's going to be a sharp dresser. I hope so. Yeah. He has strong opinions about his clothes. Carolina already has really good style. So. <laughs> she's been wearing all of her Christmas clothes on repeat since Thanksgiving. So she's in there. Sounds like my kind of gal. <laughs> so I was thinking today, I was like, all I ever wear is a random hoodie, joggers and slides. <laughs> That's just the work from home wardrobe. Uniform. <laughs> right. Uh, taking a slightly different turn here. Our 32nd question is, what is it that you most dislike? Something, you know, super broad. (laughs) So we'll just skip the episode today and talk about all the things that we don't like. But this is most. Mm, This answer, you could go any direction because I'm a slightly angry person. So I've got my list of things I dislike is pretty long. The first thing that came to mind, I feel like my answer should be famine. Famine? Poverty, famine, world hunger, pollution, global warming. Like, I feel like my answer should be that. Actually, the answer that came to mind, though, is I really dislike when someone lies to me and thinks I don't realize they're lying. I cannot stand that. It doesn't happen that often. I do have a couple of people close to me in my life who 
tend toward distruths to get out of things. So like... I want to ask so many probing excuse- questions, but I won't. <laughs> Thank you. Uh-huh. I'm trying to speak in generalities. But to tell a, a, an untruth just to get out of something simple and straightforward, it just annoys me. It's just condescending. It's just um, offensive that you think I can't see through that. And it just annoys me. Just tell me it's either none of my business or tell me exactly how you're feeling because I'll respect it. (laughs) What if the question was, tell me the person's name (laughs) that last pissed you off? (laughs) That'd be fun. Mm, This is going to be part of my new quiz. I don't like that game. That's dangerous. What is your bank routing number? Um, So uh, that's it. I'm going to go with that one for now. That feels safe. What about you? Lately, the Proust survey. (laughs) I was listening back to another episode. I know you and I both like will listen back when it hits like Apple or whatever or um, to make sure that nothing got lost in translation. And we were both in these early episodes. We love the Proust survey. And now I'm like, get out of here. <laughs> but some of the questions, I think my issue is some of the questions feel like shades of one another. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And it's so broad that I could see like at a dinner party, if you've had a glass of wine or two, and you're all, <laughs> exactly. And you're all sort of sitting around and you have nowhere to be and you could just throw out different answers. But this feels so much more formal on mic that I feel like I want to, I want to make sure I have the right answer so I don't end up, I'm going to keep calling it my Taylor Swift debacle, where the one person in the world I want to meet is Taylor Swift. And I'm just like, there's so many other people I'd want to meet, but we, I commit myself to an answer. We can give you a re a redo if you want it. <laughs> when, this is our podcast. <laughs> when that one airs, it's going to be like, and what do you think? I think I should meet Bill Clinton. I don't know. <laughs> I don't even have a good answer now. It's out. Oh, per- <laughs> <laughs> I listen back to all of them. <laughs> I think the other thing that's actually more telling is how hard you've been on yourself about that. <laughs> so I think that's the introspection. There maybe, you go. Is I am having to face a lot of things about myself as well. I don't um, like facing things about myself. There's just so much to do in the day. Like laundry, dishes, work, podcasting, face yourself. Ugh. <laughs> It's just a bridge too far. Uh, My real answer is very similar to your point about so many of these being very similar to one another. I feel like I've gone down this road before, but like being rude, I think Mm. is the thing I dislike the most. Mm -hmm. And not confusing that with being nice. Like there's just nothing wrong with like holding open the door for someone. Or if someone holds open the door for you. At least, like, acknowledge it. Right. I don't need, like, a thank you card. I'll take one. Yeah. I don't need one. You know, but just kind of these, like, little things. Yeah. Because it's those little things that can really make or break a day. And um, because you don't know what someone's been through. Yeah. And um, people not following the golden rule. Mm. You know? I just, I think, I think it's really easy for people to forget that. Unless they're like a glutton for punishment and they just enjoy when people are mean to them. So they're mean to other people. That's true. Those people probably exist, right? Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Sadists. Is that again? Me Masochist? giving people. There Masochist. you go. Masochist. Yeah. Me giving people the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> You're just bringing it back to 50 shades of gray. I think 95% of people in the world just like to be in pain. So that's why they're so rude. And speaking of pain... <laughs> Was it good? Speaking of pain, we're talking about Clayton. Kind of. Okay. Uh, Well done, Selena. (laughs) 
I'm learning. So this week's episode is called Oh Brother. Hulu says the Sugar Baker sisters disagree on how to treat their stepbrother who is arriving after being released from a mental hospital. IMDb says Julia and Suzanne's half-brother, Clayton, who has suffered from alcoholism and mental illness in the past, comes to town. So this is perfect. He's a brother. He's a stepbrother. He's a half-brother. Mm-hmm. He's all the brothers. Oh, yeah. I feel like you have something to say about these descriptions, Selena. No, I just really like that. Well, I have two thoughts. One is that sometimes I'm just copying and pasting these descriptions, but I don't really read them very closely, so I didn't even <laughs> notice that. But I really liked the way that you enunciated stepbrother and half-brother because it helped call it to my attention. That's about what it takes. Like, I need I need the emphasis, and that oh, I'm glad I could give that to you. I think the worst part is, I think the IMDB ones actually a lot of times will come from users. And then yeah. IMDb kind of like picks up on the best one. Oh. Hulu. <laughs> Someone probably gets paid for that. Or they're an intern. But probably paid. Probably. So. That's they got the, it wrong. That's the attention to detail that we're all looking for. That doesn't bother me at all. Her eyes twitching. What thing do you most dislike, Selena? Hulu episode description. <laughs> Not if they want us to be an ambassador. Sure. I do have it. So this one aired on January 18th, 1988. We've moved. Oh, we moved into the next year last time, didn't we? That's true, but we were too tired to realize it. I should have said something. Milestone. Apply this to our last episode. Um, So this one was written by LBT and directed by David Trainer. Let's jump into it. Yeah, Yeah. General reactions. Stray observations. What you got? Well, so all of my general general reactions are about Clayton. Okay. Uh, So he's played by real-life Southern humorist Louis Grizzard. Um, He sounds like a good old boy, but he looks like kind of an intellectual. It confuses me. (laughs) Oh, that did not occur to me. Like, I didn't expect for... A guy who looked like that to be telling Bubba Dwayne jokes. That is fascinating because I absolutely did. Mm. He looks like uh, like he could be my uncle. Like he looks like someone that I would see at a family reunion. Oh. And and sorry, they're all people that would tell Bubba and Dwayne jokes. Not mm-hmm. all of them, but some of them are people who would tell Bubba and Dwayne jokes. For the record, I enjoyed the Bubba and Dwayne jokes. Sure, but right. Yeah. I don't know why. And I think it's because... Um, I don't know. Something about the dress was different than what was I would have been expecting. Probably. Mm-hmm. I can get Darn you a pair that glasses. look like that. They're trying to bring them back. Oh. That like square 80s, like not square. Square is not even the right word. It's like square at the top uh-huh. and then like oval at the bottom. Uh-huh. It's They're got a little to, bit of everything. Trying to bring those back. Samola of glasses. Sure. Business right. up top, party down bottom. Mm-hmm. Okay. Business up top, Bubba Dwayne jokes on bottom. <laughs> Do you want to keep talking about Clayton then? I do. I want to ask you a question real quick. Mm. How did you feel about this concept of introducing a random half-brother in the second season who we've never heard anything about? Mm -hmm. Does that bother you? So it's interesting because that connects to one of my general observations. Okay. Which is that this episode was clearly for fans of Grizzard. That's my takeaway. Okay. Um. 
so we'll get more into this. I'm going to do a Selena sidebar. Okay. So we can talk a little bit about Lewis. Okay. But Julia mentions him having a breakdown in Chicago, mm-hmm. which is likely a hat tip to the very unhappy three years he spent there as a sports writer. Lewis Grizzard. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Being a UGA alum. Mm-hmm. Um, excuse me. I said Bubba and Dwayne, but it's actually Bubba and Earl. I appreciate that I continued to read it, repeat it back to you and <laughs> didn't notice that at all. Eh, you know. Doing the best. Okay. Yeah. Um, but I, I I think he regular these two characters regularly appeared in his stories. Mm-hmm. And then his routine at the end had jokes he used frequently over the course of his career, especially like the southern language nuance, the difference between naked and naked. And then um he says this line that's uh life is like a dog sled team. If you ain't the lead dog scenery never changes and so to me and they even show them like shaking hands and stuff at the end with everybody coming up in the crowd i think those were genuine fans Mm. so to me this was almost like fan fiction or something oh okay um so that's how it struck me how did it strike you I hate when we introduce family members that mm-hmm. we've never talked about. Mm-hmm. Like I can understand introducing, um, like in Killing All the Right People, which incidentally is uh, the episode that went live this week, I think. Um, they introduce this young man who is supposedly a friend of the firm of the, of Sugar Bakers, but we've never met him and they've never talked about him. I'm okay with that because there's a billion people in their their you know professional sphere and their like social sphere that we would never meet, and you have to introduce new characters. I'm cool with that. This is a character who is their half brother. He's someone that they talk a lot about at the end of the episode, them growing up together and their lives together. And there's a lot of backstory there that feels like in that episode with Perky, like we would have gotten a nod to this brother. So it comes across to me, re-watching something in this sort of bingey format comes across to me as like super disingenuous, ingenuine and like a massive plot hole. Mm. which drives me crazy. It feels like they tried really hard with the writing to cover it up. Yeah. This idea that like, not the way that Suzanne and Julia talk about him, mm. but the way that he talks about himself. Okay. That he was like this midstream accident. First came Julia with Perky. Right. Then apparently the dad had an affair mm-hmm. and got divorced, got with, his mom, Clayton's mm-hmm. mom, and then they divorced and then Perky and him got back and the dad got back together again. And he has this part where he talks about always kind of feeling like he never really truly belonged. And like he was always this, especially since he has mental health issues and he has some issues with drinking and things like that. It sounds like that makes him feel like even more of the eccentric brother, the black sheep of the family. But it's so weird because Suzanne and Julia spend a lot of time talking about how they care for him and they've worried about him and they've spent time visiting him. That's where they lose me. And then he's like Mm -hmm. totally random. And I don't want to make – our entire show is about making too much out of nothing. So (laughs) I don't want to make too, too much of it. But that like – and it's it's common. I actually meant to look this up before we recorded if that is considered like a sitcom trope of some kind to like introduce a random family member, like a random cousin or uncle or something. Because uh, actually this show does it again, as I understand, in later seasons. They introduce like some random cousins or family members or whatever. Mm-hmm. So um, it feels common to me. It's not unique to the show. It just drives me crazy. Sure. I just hate it. And mm-hmm. I hate like... I'm thinking of some other shows in the 80s and 90s where 
um, you meet like significant members of the family. I consider a brother significant. A half brother is significant. Yeah. Um, but you meet like daughters and sons and cousins like that you never even were mentioned in the first five seasons. And that just drives me crazy. Or the fact that we'll never hear from him again. This is what I'm saying. This He's is not going to be there for Thanksgiving in season three. And so, in my opinion, couldn't they have made him like a really close friend they grew up with? Couldn't they have made him the neighbor that they've known since they were two years old, that they really care about? They're trying to help him get on his feet. You know, someone, if you want to bring Louis Grizzard in, and it's interesting because I actually assumed, though I didn't research it, um, I assumed that this was a favor in some way to someone, that there's a relationship to him somewhere. And so I assumed that's what was happening. So then make him more random so that if you don't talk about him again, it's fine. Mm-hmm. The, the only other... Playing devil's advocate, I imagine that there are people who are like, I never talked to my half-brother. But they do. But they <laughs> right. do. They visited right. him multiple times in multiple cities. Yeah. They know exactly what hospital he's staying in. He puts pictures of them up on his nightstand. They do talk to their half-brother. Yeah. So and I guess the other part is, too, just in any show, we're only seeing whatever part of their life they want us to see. Yeah, that's so true. So they sort of always have this built-in excuse. Right, that's All true. All that said, I understand the aggravation. I really I'm getting do. like really aggravated the more I think about it. Yeah, that that's uh, my biggest general reaction to this episode is just that general frustration. Okay. Um, a couple more that I had just sure. generally about him is his pace. I mm. found to be very interesting because it's very slow. It's deliberate. Um it's not very energetic, Mm-mm. but I think that might be part of his shtick because I think is like maybe, maybe that makes the punchline land a little bit more something mm-hmm. because he's very unassuming feels yes. like the right word maybe. Yeah. And then, so when he does some, say something that's a little like, whoa, towards the end, it almost catches you off guard. Yeah. I would have thought he was older than Julia, not her baby brother. Really? Yeah. I, oh, interesting. He, he, well, he did live a hard life, thing one, but mm. also he had the appearance to me of someone who had lived a hard life. That's fascinating. I didn't think that at all. He's seven years younger in real life, in case you were curious. I would have guessed, yeah, he was in his late 30s, early 40s. Yeah. Um, strays. Uh, I have a few. Okay. Clayton pronounces Charlene as Charlene. Did you get that one too? First stray. Yeah. So we had this whole thing in season one where I think I did a Mia Culpa because I kept calling her Charlene and everybody else in the show calls her Charlene. But we do catch a couple of people call her Charlene. Yes. But I think they're just wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Well, because her name's Charlene. Right. (laughs) Because we're just going to go by statistics. So I guess nobody on set decided to correct Louis Grizzard. I I don't know. But it made me curious... Like, was he a fan of this show? You know, just based on the things that I read about him, like, I want to say no. And he is kind of like this good old boy persona. But, of course, nobody really knows what he's actually like. Right. Not really. But I also wonder, it is in Atlanta. And so maybe that meant something to him as being such a gigantic figure as he was So when are you going to do, where is Selena's sidebar fit into all this? Because I feel like you're saying some things. As soon as we get through the strays. Okay. um, I'm going to leap right into it. Because I feel like some of those things are things that hopefully you'll cover that he is from Atlanta. I'm teasing it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm teasing it by slowly, accidentally telling you everything. Do you like it? (laughs) It's all part of my shtick. (laughs) 
Um, another end of work day. <laughs> another stray I'll throw in there is what you just brought up, the naked naked joke um, mm-hmm. that he tells at the end. Um, that reminds me of a very Jeff Foxworthy style joke to tell. Mm-hmm. And I feel like maybe there's some inspiration Probably to Jeff Foxworthy from Louis Grizzard. Is that in am, am I allowed to answer? <laughs> Is that in Before the sidebar. the sidebar. So I looked for that uh-huh. and I couldn't really find that okay. connection. Not okay. quickly anyway. I wasn't going to do, I was too interested in, in old Louis to get that far in okay. that. But I did think that like maybe he was an inspiration for Foxworthy, but mm-hmm. I just couldn't find like this definite thing where like Jeff Foxworthy comes out and says, you know, if it wasn't for Louis Grizzard, right. then I do think his is more, I don't mean this in a, a, a mean way or disparaging way. Um, Jeff Foxworthy's a little bit more mass produced, I think. Oh, yes, for sure. Um, Louis Grizzard strikes me as very homegrown. Yeah. yeah. In South, Southeast U.S. Yeah, I mean, I can't, like, and I think some of it's just because um, the very, his very shtick of the, um, you might be a redneck if. So it just sort of is like this very similar packaging. Mm-hmm. Um, so, they even kind of look alike, in my opinion. I can see that a little bit. Uh one, I have two other strays. Mm. One is, th- so there was no B plot or subplot or it was all, all this all the time, which I found interesting. Mm. Um, and then Louis Grizzard's name was spelled incorrectly in the credits. Was it really? It was Louis Gizzard. There oh. was no R. I paused it to double check. So, uh, and those are like the original credits too. Cause then I went and Googled it. Cause I was like, did Hulu just misspell this? Those are the original credits yeah. and it's known as something that is... Wrong in the episode. Oh, my goodness. So if it is, to your point, like a fan fiction, how Uh mortifying. And why did they never fix it? Right. That's Mm. a great question. Nice Mm. catch. Uh, We get another off the beam reference. Right. We haven't gotten one in a while, but this time from Suzanne. Um, I think this makes it number four or five over the course of the season. Again, like the most specific thing I feel you can say. I've just never heard that. No. Until this this season. No. We didn't even hear it last season, did we? This is all new this season. It's the off-the-beam season, I, I think. I would agree with that. Cocktail shrimp in a vending machine. <laughs> Was that a thing in the 80s? <laughs> it's a thing I put in my what I liked list. <laughs> well, I think it depends. I don't. I don't know about that. I think it was one of those like... What is the, I don't think it was a thing in the 80s. I think it was the idea of what is the most random thing you would not want to get out of a vending machine? Mm. And maybe steak was too unsafe. So they went with, I don't know. Too ridiculous. (laughs) So we'll go with cocktail shrimp. Okay. I was just. I do love cocktail shrimp. eh, Me too. And um, of course, like, hopefully I'm not speaking out of turn here, but Japan is really known for all the really fantastical things that they put in their vending machines. Oh, this sounds familiar. Yeah, you because you can get like sushi, mm-hmm. like fresh sushi, not not old cocktail shrimp. Um, anyways, we do get an outfit rerun from Suzanne. Of course, I don't even have my phone nearby, so that seems important. Was it the high collared shirt at the very beginning? It's more the burgundy oh, okay. dress, and it has like that nice '80s tie. Like, oh, when they're sitting down talking about 
him being a black sheep. Yeah, because yeah. it goes through the rest of the episode. That blue shirt. I almost said something about it, but now that you're bringing up wardrobe, I'll say it. They've made a lot of jokes about the size of Suzanne's chest. Mm-hmm. I have never noticed it until she was in that blue shirt. Oh, really? And then it is like the Madonna cones sticking oh. out under that shirt. Oh. It looks like her back hurts. Oh. That's the first time I've ever really noticed well, it. Well, my back hurts. <laughs> For different reasons. Yeah. Stress. <laughs> Nothing happy. So, uh, Anthony says, dude. For those playing the bingo card. Oh, dang it. I missed it. That You're dude good... is funny. Yeah. Okay. That's uh, right. And then this one's kind of sad. Mm. <laughs> but with this episode being so long ago and then Clayton talking about the inevitability of death, mm. it's different. He's passed in real life. Mm. He said it specifically to Meshach Taylor and uh, he's passed in real life. I know. Well. You didn't know we were terminal? Well. <laughs> <laughs> And so I just was watching that and I was like, oh, this is terrible. Was it just the last episode or maybe two episodes ago where I said we should talk more about death? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I was like, yeah, that's a good point. We're all marching toward death. Well, I'm bringing it up for you. <laughs> Thanks, Selena. You say you want something. <laughs> oh, God, I'm giving it to you. Death. That said, Nikki, <laughs> now that I've told you everything about Louis Grizzard, are you ready for a little Selena sidebar. <laughs> Red. Okay. It's a sidebar, Selena sidebar. She's got a keyboard looking for a reward by digging deep in the obscure, taking us on a detour. What you got, Selena? In Selena sidebar. So. What I do think is really nice about this episode is we are getting perhaps our biggest Southern reference to date, a walking one in Louis Grizzard oh, himself. Oh, sure. Yeah. So to be very clear, I did not know who he was. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Nikki, you flagged for us early on that I'm talking about for us off mic that mm-hmm. this was like a real dude. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously he's a real dude, but you know what I mean. Can I throw in a stray observation I forgot, but it's relevant to your Selena stray sidebar? observations in Selena sidebar. I know. I have ruined it. <laughs> no. uh, only to say, the other thing I meant to mention in the stray observations, and it's relevant to what you just said, his accent is so much more legitimate in terms of what I am used to hearing living in the South. And so when you say he's like a walking embodiment of the South, that is something that struck me in the episode. And and actually, I think it's what keyed me into the fact that we should know this person. Well, there are certain nuances between different Southern accents, sure. right? Even within Georgia, there's probably like a million. Mm-hmm. But he, like, he grew up in rural Georgia, but he spent a lot of time in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And so by and large, the Southern accents that you are around are either around Atlanta mm-hmm. Or in South Carolina. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like it probably does feel more common to your ear. Mm-hmm. So whereas the rest of our cast, while they're playing people in Atlanta, three out of the four of them are from the South. And I'm talking about just the ladies. I don't actually remember off the top of my head where Meshach Taylor's from. But they're all Southern, but they're not from Georgia. Right. So a Tennessee accent is going to be quite different right. than a Georgia accent. Mm-hmm. Um, so there definitely is a familiarity to it. He actually sounds a lot like my stepdad, I think, mm-hmm. which I feel like my stepdad would find to be a compliment based on a recent conversation that I had with my mother. Oh, interesting. Um, she randomly mentioned him to me. Louis Grizzard. Uh-huh. And okay. I was like, that name sounds familiar. 
And it's because of this episode. But I only know him as Lewis Gizzard. <laughs> That's right. By his true name. So, we meet him as Clayton Sugarbaker. And he, uh, one thing we haven't really talked much about is he pined to be a comedian. Mm. But then Grizzard, in real life, is a humorist, a writer, a columnist. He was mostly famous in the South. And at the time, he was really like a living legend in Atlanta. Frankly, I'm a little embarrassed that I didn't know who he was. I you mean, I just can't even look at myself in the mirror right now, mainly because it's blocked. <laughs> what a sight. Um, but so he was born in Fort Benning, Georgia in 1946, and he would have actually turned 75 this year. Oh, yeah. But he died at age 47 in Atlanta back in 1994 after suffering ex uh, extensive brain damage from his fourth heart surgery Good Lord. Uh, in 12 years. Wow. That's a lot. Yeah. Uh, he was born with a congenital heart defect. Mm. So, and I, and I think he was a smoker and a drinker mm. and all the things that probably compound all of those issues. Mm -hmm. I, that's not blame. I'm just saying, I don't think that helped. Mm. Let's talk about his accomplishments. I wanted to talk about the fact that he had already passed way early on because I hate to end a segment like that. And he's dead. <laughs> Fast forward to today. Which, he's no longer here. Right. Which I feel like is like how all my segments end. <laughs> like we talked about Christmas. I'm like, and Jesus is dead. <laughs> so. Accomplishments. He wrote a column for the then Atlanta Journal and Constitution that was syndicated to about 435 newspapers across the country. Oh, that's a lot. Yeah, so I, it's not that people around the country <laughs> didn't know him. It's just that I think most of those syndications were probably a tight Southern network. He published 25 books. Eight 25 books? Mm -hmm. And he died at 47. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. 18 were bestsellers. So a lot, not to poo-poo on what he did, but in my reading, a lot of those books were like taking his columns, very much so like Candace Bushnell did for Sex in the City and making them into a, a book. Um, but We should be making a book out of our show. Whenever you're ready. <laughs> hey, you got time, right? <laughs> that won't set your world on fire, huh? Huh? <laughs> I'm fine. I'm fine. <laughs> so, uh, he had 10 comedy albums. Two were released after his death, but that's eight before. His early years are also real, really impressive. I'm always really impressed by people who do things when they're like 12. Oh, right. Because again, I'm 36 and I'm like, how do I tie my shoes again? Right. And so... He's 19, attending the University of Georgia. In Go dogs. <laughs> whoop, whoop. I mean, sick. Yeah, that's it. So <laughs> you had it. You're right. It's hard. <clears throat> it's difficult. My instrument wasn't ready. <laughs> Anyways, so he became the sports editor for the Athens Daily News, mm. and at only 19, that's pretty impressive. That's fine. I don't know what the Athens Daily News is. <laughs> But I assume it's very important, and you can tell us about it. It's a newspaper for and by 19-year-olds. It's not that impressive. I'm just kidding. That's the red and black. I've never heard of it, actually. Okay. It, maybe it's not around anymore. Uh, let's stop disparaging Athens Daily News. Okay. Let me, to tee you up for your extra sugar, though, 
He was a lifelong Georgia Bulldog fan before mm-hmm. he ever attended. And some of his ashes were even scattered at the 50-yard line of Sedenford Stadium. That's fun. Um, I mean, you know, mm-hmm. as fun as scattering ashes it's can be. Ni- it's nice. It's, it's nice, nice thought. He became sports editor of the Atlanta Journal at age 23. And I believe he was at the time the youngest sports writer in the paper's history. So also, again, really accomplishing some things early on. That's amazing. I don't know when he starts doing appearances. That wasn't clear to me. But I I did read that he was making about $20,000 per speaking engagement. So, And this is in the 80s and 70s, so that's pretty good. Or at least in the 80s. When I say he is a legend in Atlanta, I mean it. In 1983, the state Senate declared a Louis Grizzard Day. That's crazy. Kyle knew who he was when oh, I brought really? it up. Mm-hmm. We're just bad Southerners. Not me. I'm not from here. Thank goodness we have from Atlanta. A... Whatever. <laughs> Think that... He's like from Atlanta, basically. <laughs> Go somewhere else. <laughs> I lived in Pennsylvania for six months. That, that's me doing an impression of Nikki's voice. It's really bad. Work on that. I know. We're, I don't know how. I, I did recognize his name, and I assumed it was someone we should know. And then when I started putting the pieces together, I knew who he was. But I did not know any of that stuff you just shared. We have jumped. There's more. There's more. <laughs> What's more than a sidebar? <laughs> Selena's main bar. Selena's episode. Cinder bar. Um, it's a Lewis's episode. <laughs> so his marriages are also infamous at the time. In fact, it wasn't unusual to see bumper stickers in Atlanta that read, Honk, if you've been married to Lewis Grizzard. What? This is what I'm talking about. Who is making money off of that? Uh, maybe him. <laughs> he had like some kind of enterprise. Um, so... His work focused a lot on his Southern roots and nostalgia for the good old days, but he also talked a lot about his own life, his complicated health issues, and perhaps even more complicated relationships, both with his father and women. Uh, Career. Not without controversy, his detractors accused him of racism, sexism, homophobia, and xenophobia, but he was also described by AJC and many others presumably as an equal opportunity offender who believed in things like abortion and gun control. And so when he would come out on issues like that, it sounds like he would also tee off conservatives. I'm going to end with a quote uh, from AJC. This is from the editorial board, and they wrote this after his death in 94. To readers across the nation, Louis Grizzard was Atlanta, the Journal, and the South. In the tradition of Southern humorists, he found in the distinctiveness of the South, its people and their ordinary lives and pleasures, the material to entertain a nation. His genuine delight in the humor he found in the passions and rituals of the Southern town, family, food, and football, anchored us all to the memories we cherish in the places we wanted to be, even as he reminded us that the South is changing incomprehensibly fast, his wit, his wit offered safe harbor from our fears that the region we love is losing its uniqueness. Dang. Which I feel like probably resonates for a lot of people today. Mm-hmm. Um, as we become a place where more and more people are moving in who are not from the South, mm-hmm. uh, like people where we work are beyond fascinated when they find out that I have lived here my entire life. Yeah. Um, there aren't a lot of natives anymore. And 
So I think this is something that people who are, not me, I don't care. Um, <laughs> I mean, I care, but it doesn't bother me. I feel like I can hang on to my uniqueness right. and also be surrounded by people from up north and right. be just fine. Um, but I think that is a true concern for people to this day. So, mm. And that is Selena's longest sidebar. <laughs> It's not my fault. He's so interesting. That was a lot. I didn't. I didn't think that was particularly long. It only counts as long because you were dribbing and drabbing the information since we started the episode. So. <laughs> uh, as I'm all embarrassed and I can feel my cheeks. Oh, pushing. don't be embarrassed. It was lovely. That was some great information. Now I'm a Louis Grizzard fan, and I'm gonna have to find me a bumper sticker that says "Were you honk if you were born? If you were born." <laughs> Honk if you were born. Honk if you were married to Louis Grizzard. Well, I would like the one that says honk if you were born. <laughs> Actually, I told Casey what I want is um, be kind, student driver. <laughs> that way people just stay away. I can't believe I've never thought to get you one of those. There's still time. <laughs> so, I mean, obviously this was a big thing. That I liked in the episode, mm. just him. Yeah. Um, just because I like digging into who he was in real life. But what did you like, Nikki? I liked the one-liners and the gags in okay. this episode. So um, at the very beginning, Julia says to Suzanne, sometimes even your face comes on too strong. I thought that was hilarious. That just sounds like something I would say. Like, it's your face. There's like a lot happening right there. Um, and to me. And then he said to you, there's just like a lot right here. I can see happening? it right now. Um, and then there's the, like an exchange in the very beginning between Suzanne and Mary Jo where Suzanne's like, Suzanne, are you okay? Yeah, why? You just sound very, what did she say? Like uh, articulate, articulate and lucid. Yeah, <laughs> I have my moments. I thought that was funny. And then I had listed the whole shrimp cocktail at the bus station thing. I really appreciate And how it just sort of permeated the whole episode. I did not mean to take that from you, by the way. <laughs> fine we covered it that's all that matters all that matters is that we have shrimp cocktail in the vending machine you know what i'm saying i also really liked um as much as i didn't like the introduction of the random half brother i loved that they kind of dragged mental illness um and what sounds like an addiction out into the open mm -hmm. and said like let's let's put this out on display and talk about it they showed the conflicting viewpoints on how families can approach mental illness and things like alcoholism. And they showed it in a way that was true to the characters. So Suzanne wants to just like paint over it. And, and he, he's just an interesting kind of guy. He's just real different. And she didn't want to talk about his past. Whereas Julia wants to put it right out there in the open and say, our brother has a, he has a problem. And he, he struggles with mental illness, and you should know about that. That's the first thing you should know about him. And I think that those are two very extreme versions, but those are two very true ways that families attempt to deal with mental, mental illness. And I appreciated that they picked the one that was respective to the respective character. Okay. Uh, that was deep. I'm like, I liked the jokes at the end. <laughs> <laughs> well, I started with, I liked the jokes. Well, pairing back to what you said, so you like some of the jokes between our normal cast members right. as well. So what I really liked was his stand-up at the end. Which is funny because I felt like they were all jokes I'd heard before. From like, him? Like, the view never changes. I've heard that iterations of that joke forever. But it's probably his, Is it think. his? I don't, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. No matter what, I know I don't want to look at a dog's butt. I thought they were funny and they were jokes I would laugh at. That one didn't really get me so much. Yeah. Although that to me almost felt like a, a sign off. I did think it was very Southern 
to be like, now you listen to old Clayton now. Yeah. Now that just sounds like something I would hear from my family. For sure. Uh, it was actually his junior league joke that I thought was so great. Yeah, that one was funny. He said, you know why junior leaguers don't like group sex? All, All those thank, thank you notes. That's right. That's right. <laughs> really got me. <laughs> uh, and then, of course, I really enjoyed the naked versus naked. I, I appreciated that on your behalf. In case you didn't listen to the episode, nope, watch it. I mean, you could have listened to it, I guess. I often listen to it while cleaning my house. So, <laughs> One means you ain't got no clothes on. That's naked. And the other one means you ain't got no clothes on and you're up to something. That's naked. So apparently I always think you're up to something. Because <laughs> it's always naked in my world. I liked how he teed it up that sometimes naked just doesn't tell the whole story. Mm-hmm. And how there are Southern words like that that are adopted for that reason. Because Southerners love to tell a tall tale. They love to exaggerate. They love to tell a really good story. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes that means altering words a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I am, I am a massive, to go back to something I said earlier with that particular joke, I love Jeff Foxworthy. Mm-hmm. I love that whole, like, blue-collar comedy tour group. Um, I'm a big fan of, like, clean fu- clean humor. And Jeff Foxworthy tends to be that way. Some of the others on the blue-collar comedy tour aren't. Mm-hmm. But I appreciate that. And so I felt like I'd heard some of those jokes because I've heard Jeff Foxworthy. And those feel like his jokes. But to your point, maybe they're coming from Louis Grizzard. Could be. I don't, and I don't know. I'm, I'm almost interested to go look at more of his stuff. Um, I don't know. I'm excited about <laughs> the racist, sexist, xenophobic, homophobic stuff. Uh, but, you know, maybe there's some other things to learn. Um, sure. I really tried to put myself in terms of likes in the shoes of someone who was a fan of Grizzard mm. in 88. Mm-hmm. And I actually think of my mom because to me, it's almost hard to think that you would be a fan of both of those because designing women feels very feminine and Grizzard, what I did read about him does, it just feels, it does feel more masculine. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that those two can't cross over, but especially in the eighties, I felt like those lines were very in the sand. I'm thinking back to the episode with um, Suzanne's ex-husband, who's a writer, Dash Goff, uh-huh. when he describes Southern women. And I'm feeling like there was something in this. So your mom's Southern. And I feel like there was something in there about basically how these two things can exist at the same time. They can be very feminine and they can also be very um, like in with the boys club. I'm not wording that exactly the way he would have said it. But the point was that Southern women are like super well-rounded mm-hmm. and can do all of those things at one time. Well, then that would be my mother. And so she is definitely a fan of both. And so I, or was. And so just thinking about how nice that would have been in 88 to click on the TV for something that you don't usually get to see people from where you live portrayed on television. What a fun surprise. So you're looking in Atlanta. I mean, sort of. Right. (laughs) the sound stage, whatever. And then also like probably one of the most famous people in Atlanta walks out. Look, there's Lewis Gizzard. Yeah. <laughs> Old Gizzy Giz. <laughs> um, we love him. <laughs> um, so I was just thinking about what a cool experience that would have been at the time and putting myself in those shoes was something I enjoyed. Are you ready to move to what you didn't like? You've already heard mine and I won't belabor the point. The random 
half-brother introduced mm. halfway through the second season. Drives me crazy. I think, for me, it was just this idea that we're doing a lot to get him on the show. Yeah. So, and it feels rushed somehow. Mm. And, and to your point, maybe just not as thought out as it could be. Again, as someone who has no right to say these things. Right. Uh, I just, I, I fit, the only reason I keep repeating that, one, is because I want to keep myself in the right frame of mind. But two, for anyone who decides, oh, hey, season two, episode 15, right. that's where I want to pick up. Right. I want them to know that we are underneath no, like... Illusion. Thank you. That we're somehow, have the right to say these things. Yeah. <laughs> but here we are. <laughs> We're here as fans to examine the show, and along the way, we're going to critique some things that just annoy us. Yeah. We are longtime fans of television. Love I would it. say you're an expert. <laughs> <laughs> That's nice. But so on the plot, it's like, a brother is back. We must get him a job. He has a job. He's fired. He's dramatically <laughs> running away to California. No, he'll stay. Oh, he's already, he's already in a club but should doing we, stand-up. Should we give them credit that they didn't also introduce a subplot or a B-plot or something going on with one of the other characters? I like that. And I think if they had split the attention that way, I think I would have been just really annoyed. Yeah. So in that case, it's wonderful. Are we ready? To rate the sucker? I am. Okay. I'm going to let you go first. I'm going with moments of forced gaiety. Okay. That's something Julia said early in the episode that makes me think, because mm-hmm. we're right here at Christmas, makes me think of Christmas. Mm-hmm. Um, I give it 3.125 out of 5. Okay. I love the preciseness, <laughs> as you know. So I, um, this episode was a little bit of a tough one for me to watch multiple times. Um, I just felt, um, I think you just said what bothered me so much about it. It felt like so many leaps to get him on the show. It didn't feel like the same show. Um, and so that was hard for me to watch. Mm -hmm. It was hard for me to, um, buy the half, the half brother thing, whatever. That was all hard. I did love the open discussion of mental health. That feels very ahead of its time, offering all of those versions of looking at it, all those ways of looking at it, having the other uh, cast members step in and help Julia and Suzanne see the person behind the illness, which Mm. I think they were missing. Mm -hmm. Um, And they had spent so much time worrying about him that they missed who he actually was. So I really appreciated that. I just really hate that they had to do that through a character that I feel like we should have known and never did. He does feel like a, a fairly fleshed out character for someone that we just met. And we'll never see again, to your point, which right. is what I'm guessing. Yeah. I think the main reason I like this one is because of who he was in real life. Mm. And just because that was really fascinating to explore. Yeah. And there was a lot of other things I found that there just wasn't time to go into. Right. I'm going to link to a bunch of articles. And I'm only saying that because if you, as the listener, want to dig in, you can. And I promise you won't be disappointed. Yeah. Um, in terms of rating, I really like your rating, actually. So I'm going to go with that. I will okay. change the scale. Okay. To Louis Grizzard bumper stickers. Okay. I like that. And uh, I just think that without that, for reasons I've without him being in the episode and being like a real life person to explore, 
just all of those things about a really rushed plot, I think would have turned me off. Yeah. Um, in and of itself. So that's, but I did get to dig in to something about 50,000 different ways. And for that, we'll put it in the threes. <laughs> Combination of 80 Southern unknown or references we need to talk about. Um, I put Sydney Poitier in here mm-hmm. only because I know the name. Um, and I just wanted to look him up real quick. So I'm going to do the really brief version that he is a Bahamian American retired actor, film director, activist, and ambassador. Mm -hmm. Um, in 1964, he won the Academy Award for best actor, becoming the first black male and Bahamian actor to win the award. Uh, and then when Kirk Douglas died in 2020, he became one of the last surviving major stars from the golden age of Hollywood. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I also looked him up as well. I had him in, in references and I had all of those same things. Um, I mean, I just think it's nice to stop and think about kind of those giants. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's nice that they get shout outs on this show. And yeah. the line was actually really funny too, since the guy in the car <laughs> thought that Anthony was old city. <laughs> that was really funny. Um, so what else did you have in that category? I also looked up Nurse Ratched. Um, I know that mm. from the recent show that was done about her, but I, I can never remember what she's from originally. So she's a fictional character and the main antagonist of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Mm-hmm. She's a cold, heartless tyrant mm-hmm. and or very scary. is she? Yeah, that's true. Once you learn know. her backstory. I don't I know. She still is. I got like four episodes in and I just couldn't. It looked On intense. Nurse Ratched. Yeah. It I looked don't know. really intense. It had all the right elements, and it was very beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I don't know. It was yeah. It was like too something. I I have to be in a mode for those kind of shows. It makes my stomach hurt. I wasn't ready to like see people like in those situations or mm. being like unfairly treated. And yeah. I, just, I don't know. Um, I'm sure it was a wonderful show though. I had two more I'll mention. Bubba and Earl, um, which you started talking about at the beginning mm-hmm. of the episode, something about his delivery made me think that was a, a bit or something. Mm-hmm. And it sounds, I very cursorily looked into mm-hmm. it because I knew you had a Selena sidebar. And it does sound like it was a semi-regular part of his routine in some way. Right, And I think one of the most famous ones actually was about Ugga. Mm. And I can, even though I don't know, I can hear him saying the joke like the punchline which was basically like that dog will bite you (laughs) i mean and i'm like why because i'm reading it and that is what i hear in my head and i'm like how i must have heard like someone in my family say it at some point or something repressed a memory where you're almost bit by a dog i maybe they were listening to the audio tour or his audio whatever oh right when i was a kid um, the last one I'll mention that I looked up was the Piedmont Driving Club. Again, that was something that felt real to me when he said it. Um, and it was, it is a private social club in Atlanta. It was founded in 1887 as the Gentleman's Driving Club. And that referred to the members driving their horse and carriages onto the club grounds. Um, oh. I, driving their horse and carriages on the club grounds. I think I said onto. They just like would ride around on there. That seems weird to me, but. Anything to get away from the wives, right? This is what I'm saying. Um, I I wanted to throw this in here that the club later briefly used the adjacent grounds as a golf course, and then it sold the land in 1904 to create Piedmont Park. Hmm. 
I found an article that places membership dues, because this is still very much an active club, at $90,000 a year. There's also quite a bit to be had about debauchery that is alleged to have happened there and some of the criticisms about racism, homophobia, xenophobia, all of the things they maybe have in common. Wonderful. But not really. Nope. I think um, I, th- I think Louis Grizzard was actually part of that club in real life. There you go. Uh huh. Um, so we, we could have done an ex. Save that. Okay. Let's come back to that for an extra sugar. Okay. Um, okay. So my combination lookup was '80s and well, something I wanted to look up, which was Dr. Ruth. I know who Dr. Ruth is, but I was just wanted to give like a one sentence summary. And then I was like, we should have done an extra sugar, done on, an her. Extra sugar on her. Yeah. I did not. I don't know how I didn't realize that she was a Holocaust survivor. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, she's like a grandma who she reminds you of a grandma who's like also a sex therapist. And she's reminded you of a grandma since like the 90s when she was on Lifetime, which is what I remember her from. Even from before then. Well, sure. Yeah. But that's what I remember her from. Right. I had no 80s things this time. I have no more references to look up because Dr. Ruth was one I just, I I knew who she was, but like you, I just wanted to look into her. So I put her on my references I had to look up or we need to talk about. Okay. Well, I did have some Southern things. Okay. New Orleans. This is one of the last times they had seen Clayton before now. Um, Suzanne's comments to Julia about her always saying how Southern families are so proud of their eccentrics. They're always bringing them out and putting them on display. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alabama. Uh, this is, gets mentioned in reference to a sushi joke made by Clayton. Um, and then other things that we've already talked about. So, uh, I think you got my references that I wanted to look up as well. So we covered those and cut lines then. There were a couple, there was one kind of substantive one that I will not read word for word, except to say that it goes into more detail about how Suzanne and Julia are differing in his sort of like re-entry into life um, and how he's got this job at a record store. Julia thinks it's a great sort of like entry point, very like low stakes. Uh, Suzanne thinks it's sort of like a waste of time. She's annoyed that Julia feels the need to put his mental illness on display for everyone. Um, so I think it was just more evidence of their disagreement. I wanted to mess with you and say, I'll read it for you. <laughs> uh, there was a line in that, though, that made me laugh. Who is going to hire somebody who writes on his job application under mental illness? You bet. You bet. <laughs> Did you have any other cut lines? Nope. Okay. So that means we have come to an end on episode 15. Next, we have episode 16. It is titled, There's Some Black People Coming to Dinner. Uh, we'd love everyone to follow along with us and engage Instagram and Facebook at Sweet Tea and TV. Email SweetTeaTVPod at gmail.com and we'll put all our show notes at SweetTeaTV.com. Uh, and hang tight for extra sugar. This week, we're going to tack on Cicelina Sidebar, as she so graciously introed. We're going to do a deep dive into notable alums of the one and only University of Georgia. I don't know, but you know what I mean. Glory, glory to Georgia. Oh, right, right, right. right. (laughs) We're excited. Glory to Georgia State. Oh, sorry. I mean, Mm. University of Georgia. Mm. All right. We'll see you around the bend. Bye.
Welcome to this week's edition of Extra Sugar. I'm thrilled. Do you know why I'm thrilled, Selena? I know why you're thrilled. Why? You love some UGA. I'm so excited to have an opportunity to talk about it. Not only is it sort of like a tangential, like you had to look into Louis Grizzard to find out he went to UGA. He actually mentioned UGA in the episode. Gave it to you. So it's so like right there, I get to do it. So um, it got me in the frame thinking about Louis Grizzard, got me in the frame of thinking about notable Georgia alums. I feel like over the years, I continue to have moments where I'm like, they went to Georgia? Like um, mm. Monica Padman from Armchair Expert. She's mm-hmm. the co-host of Armchair Expert. She went to UGA. Mm-hmm. We would have even been like in the same kind of time area. Um, so I'm always finding out about mostly celebrities who went to UGA. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. Um, so I did a deep dive this week. I pulled a handful, eight to be exact, um, of prominent former Bulldogs, not all celebrities. Um, and I wanted to share a little bit of information about them. <sighs> But I, I pulled eight. So that's probably too many for us to have time for. We'll okay. see. We'll see how long it takes. Um, so what I wanted to do is share maybe three for um, a handful. But I wanted to add a little element of randomness. So mm-hmm. I've written the names on little slips of paper. I have put them into my UGA hat. And I'm going to have you select them for us. It was really important to me. My mind instinctively goes to the celebrities who went to UGA because that's my world. I live in that world. But what Is I that wanted to your do... world? Yes. Oh, okay. That's where I live. Okay. Uh, I know them all. No, it's just my world of interest. Oh, um... But I wanted to push myself to to look at other types of notable people because celebrity is not the only way to be notable. There are a lot of other interesting people in the world, a lot of other um, people who are notable in their own field. Mm -hmm. So I tried to do something that was um, representative of various groups of notoriety. Was there anybody you were ashamed of? Uh, I think I skipped those. Oh, okay. I only picked the ones I'm proud of. Oh, right. Extra sugar (laughs) is positive. To be fair, though, uh, no, not really. But maybe they don't make the list because other people are ashamed of them. I don't know. Mm. So in my Georgia hat, I have eight names. I would like you to pick a name. But first, I'm going to share a couple of fast facts. I like to get you excited and then rip it out of your hands. Okay. Um, So a few fast facts about UGA, just for anybody who's not familiar with the university. It was founded in 1785. It is one of the three oldest public universities in the United States. UNC at Chapel Hill and the College of William and Mary are the other two. UGA's website, and I spent my entire college career repeating this, it's the birthplace of higher education in the U.S. I'm not sure how that squares with the fact that there are two other universities that are just as old, Um, but it's on UGA's website, so I'm not digging too deep. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is the flagship of the University System of Georgia. It's been classified as a, quote, public Ivy, which is a public institution which offers an academic experience similar to an Ivy League university. Hmm. Uh, in the fall of 2020, enrollment topped nearly 40,000 students. The class of 2024, hold on to your pants, had an average GPA in high school of 4.0 plus. Yeah. When I started, as far as I can tell, the average GPA was 3.64. Oh, I can't believe it was that low mm. even then. Cause Thanks, I, it was really hard. It was really <laughs> hard to get in there when we graduated too. Now I think I it's I try impossible. to tell people of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and every Georgian is within 40 miles of a UGA resource. Isn't that crazy? Oh, because of all the satellites? Satellites. Ag- they have like agricultural extensions and things like that. 
Uh, once a year, the University of Georgia puts on public display the only surviving copy of the Constitution of the Confederate States of America. Oh. I just find that interesting. It's mm-hmm. the last surviving copy. And then you're going to love this one. Okay. I think I, this probably won't send you into a tailspin. Women were admitted into UGA in 1918. They had their own set of rules. Oh. This is on UGA's website. Um, And the rules lasted until 1967. They weren't allowed to stay out after 11 p.m., Mm -hmm. couldn't visit men's apartments, and they couldn't leave their dorms with curlers in their hair. Well, that's specific. (laughs) (laughs) What would they say now? All right. Let's get this party started. Okay. Pick a name. I have lots of questions, but I'll hold them all. Pick us a name. Bill Clinton. (laughs) I hate you. (laughs) Take it seriously. I don't even know. Ertherin Cousin? Yes, Ertherin Cousin. Uh, A lawyer who served as the 12th executive director of the UN's World Food Program from 2012 to 2017. She's also a law dog or a graduate of the UGA Law School. So I'm going to read this directly from Wikipedia so I get nothing wrong because I want to give Earthrend her full... Directly from Wikipedia. Correct. I want to give her her full due. I know someone who works at Wikipedia and actually it is like a really... It's sharp. It is. Hey, I started there. Cousin served from 2009 to 2012 under President Barack Obama as the United States Ambassador to the United Nations Agencies for Food and Agriculture, serving in Rome, Italy, and Chief of the United States Mission to the UN Agencies in Rome. Before that, she worked in a variety of public and private sector positions, first as a Democratic Party official, later specializing in the food industry, and related charities from the late 1990s on. In 2014, Cousin was ranked number 45th on the Forbes magazine's list of the world's 100 most powerful women. And she was named to the Time, to Time magazine's 100 most influential people in the world list. Wow. Since, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say real quickly, if you had just paused for a second, I was going to tell you all of this. Oh, I'm sorry. I breezed right through. Why don't you just tell us where she's been since 2019? Well, I just call her Earthy for short. <laughs> We're very close. But no, no, this is your show, Nikki. You go on. (laughs) Since 2019, she's been a part of the Center for Strategic and International Studies called CSIS, their task force on humanitarian access at Georgetown University. CSIS conducts policy studies and strategic analyses of political, economic, and security issues throughout the world with a special focus on issues concerning international relations, trade, technology, finance, energy, and geostrategy. How cool is that? It's awesome. That's a cool person. Who are you going to pick next? I bet you they went to Auburn. (laughs) What segment is this again? (laughs) I hate you so much. Crawford Long. Do you know the name Crawford Long? Yeah. Is this familiar to you? Yeah. What do you know about Crawford Long? Isn't there Crawford Long Hospital or something? You're right. A little place in Atlanta. Not anymore. Okay. It's called like Emory University Hospital at Midtown or something now. Okay. But for a very long time, I think it just changed names in like 2009 or 2010. Um, It was named Crawford Long Hospital and it was named after this guy who was an American surgeon and pharmacist best known. (laughs) This killed me. Best known for his fir- for the first use of inhaled sulfuric ether. Oh, to put you out? AKA chloroform. Oh. Mm-hmm. Oh. It was an anesthetic. 
Yeah, put he, you out. Yeah, right. Okay. He pioneered it as uh, anesthesia. He's widely known as the first obstetric anesthetist. 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 Also. I want to help you. A dog. It's anesthetist. You got it. I know that. You got it, girl. Also a dog. He was born in 1815 in Madison County, Georgia. By the age of 14, he had graduated his local school and applied to UGA. While oh. he was there, he roomed with Alexander Stevens, who was the future vice president of the Confederate States of America during the American Civil War. Hmm. Um, throughout his professional career, Long was strongly convinced of his calling to serve humanity. He said that his profession was, quote, a ministry from God, and that his highest ambition was to do good and leave the world better by his labors. And put them to sleep. With chloroform. There's a lot more to him. Um there was a lot of debate about whether he was truly the first person to use this as anesthesia. Um, he used it on his wife when she delivered their babies. He was, um, he, they moved to Athens at one point and he, and I think it was his brother or maybe his brother-in-law had a pharmacy on Broad Street in Athens. Um, and he, he was a very influential obstetric doctor and provider. Mm. Incidentally, he was also a cousin of Doc Holliday. Oh. A legendary gambler and gunfighter who has roots in Griffin. We all know who Doc Holliday is. Do we, though? <laughs> no, probably not. But I'll be your Huckleberry. If you know who he is, mm -mm. you know what that is. Mm -mm. Oh, honey. I thought you said hooker. Yeah, I'll be your <laughs> hooker. <laughs> sure. Um, it's not for me to judge. You know what I'm saying? Um, Deborah Norville. Do you know Deborah Norville? I don't. She's a television anchor. Oh. She has anchored Inside Edition, oh. a TV news magazine show since 1995. She was born in Dalton, Georgia, and guess what? Hmm. She graduated from UGA, summa cum laude, in three years with a perfect 4.0 grade point average. She has a BA in journalism from the Grady, school, Grady College of Journalism and Mass Communication. Incidentally, I have the same degree from the same school. I am not the anchor of Inside Edition. <laughs> I'm barely the anchor of this segment. There's still time. <laughs> uh, I just thought this part was kind of fun. Uh, when she was still in college, her senior year, the Atlanta Fox affiliate offered her a weekend news reporting position. I think it, the story was that she had an internship there, and um, she had to step in at some point and do a news segment. And they loved her so much, they offered her this weekend gig. So she would um, leave class on Friday, drive the 60 miles to Atlanta. Sometimes she would sleep in her car in a parking lot do stories through the weekend, and then drive back to Athens on Sunday mm. to go back to class on Monday. That sounds exhausting. Um, she's also been on Today, the Today Show, CBS Evening News, among lots of other jobs. She's also an avid knitter and has her own line of yarn. I'm sorry. I had to look her up. No, I... I think we have time for a couple of more if you want. Let's do if you it. you want kill me? Okay. This is... I have at least one I want to tell you about, so I'm if we don't make the... it... I'm getting to draw names out of a hat. <laughs> Emilio Pucci. This is the one I wanted to tell you there about. You go. I think you'll appreciate this as a lover of fashion. I do. Emilio Pucci it was an Italian fashion designer. Mm -hmm. If you saw the clothes, do you know who I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, uh, Emilio lived from 1914 to 1992 and was also a bulldog. Wow. This is so random to me. Um, so after two years at the University of Milan... He studied agriculture at UGA in Athens. He wanted to know about like silkworms or something? His father encouraged him to attend UGA to learn cutting edge agriculture techniques to support the family's agribusiness interests. Hmm. 
Um, he was born, a couple of fun facts about him. He was born in Naples to one of Florence's oldest noble families. He was widely praised in the U.S. for creating high-end, ready-to-wear fashion. Um, it's sort of the Mad Men style you think of. Okay. Um, kaleidoscope is another way I've heard it dis- like described. It's very colorful, very bright, very mod, like 1960s style. Um, incidentally, he's the designer who coined capri pants. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. His designs were loved by Jackie Kennedy, Marilyn Monroe, and Beyonce even wore House of Pucci, Pucci, I said that weird, House of Pucci to the Obama inauguration. Well, there you go. That's cool. Not crazy. Mm -hmm. Um, A couple of the other names I wanted to just briefly mention. Um, I had Brandon Stanton, the founder of the Humans of New York social media movement. Oh, okay. He went to UGA. He graduated in 2008 with a history degree. Um, if you don't know what Humans of New York is, it started out as a um, photo blog, and then it turned into sort of a social media movement where he literally goes into New York and interviews random people about their lives and then turns it into like a photo-driven story. It's very beloved. And I'm very surprised that you didn't say he had a journalism degree. Mm-mm. No, actually, um, I wasn't going to do everybody, but he... Um, Moved to Chicago after graduation. He has his degree in history. He worked in like stocks and bonds Mm -hmm. um, and ended up losing his job. And he had always loved photography, had done photography just to like take his mind off work. So he just packed up and moved to New York with the goal of photographing 10,000 people. And he was going to plot the pictures on a map. And it became something totally different. Um, I also had John Eisner, who's an American professional tennis player. He's most well known um, for having played the longest professional tennis match in history. He defeated Nicholas Mahut in a total of 11 hours in five minutes, played over the course of three days at Wimbledon in 2010. It's too long. Also a bulldog. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Natasha Trethaway uh, is an American poet and was the U.S. Poet Laureate in 2012 and 2013. She won the 2007 Pulitzer Prize in Poetry and graduated from UGA in 1989. She was a cheerleader while she was there. Oh, wow. Uh, And then Wayne Knight. Do you know that name? I do. Uh, A lot of people know him as Newman on Seinfeld. That's not who I was thinking of. Did you think of Dirty Dancing, Jurassic Park, or Space Jam? I I do know who you're talking about now. I had no idea he graduated from UGA. The hits just keep on coming. And he did not graduate originally. Um, He dropped out. um, He's from Cartersville. He attended UGA. Or no, he lived in Cartersville. He's actually from New York. But his father moved the family to Cartersville, I think, for like a job in textiles or something. Mm. Um, He attended UGA, but actually didn't graduate until 2008. He was an honor student during his time, but he left one credit shy to pursue acting. Wow. Um, A couple other notable mentions. Uh, Ryan Seacrest was a bulldog. Yeah, that makes sense. Alton Brown from the Food Network. Okay. Um, James Michael Tyler, who actually uh, recently passed away but played Gunther in Friends, was a bulldog. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. Okay. Kim Basinger. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Bill Goldberg, the wrestler. Oh, okay. Kyle Chandler from Friday Night Lights. Oh, so that's a legit Southern accent there. Mm-hmm. Nice, nice. Titus Burgess from Kimmy Schmidt. Oh, he's a love delight. Mm-hmm. Uh, and several bands have originated from UGA: Lady Antebellum, the B52s, Lady A now, I guess, the B52s of Montreal and REM. Mm-hmm. Then, of course, there's me. And there's you. 
Just kidding. I hope there was at least one surprise in there. It sounded like there was. You're one of my two favorite bulldogs. <laughs> Who's your first? My uncle. Oh, right, 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 right. I, I thought love, you were going to say Wayne. I love my right? uncle. Um, <laughs> and then, well, I'm, well, and also one of my best friends, Sarah. Sarah, if you ever reach this episode, you'll know, maybe. Also another favorite bulldog of mine. <laughs> this might be worth texting her over because she, if she went to UGA, she would enjoy this segment. I maybe, believe. Sarah. Truly, I am floored by, like, the caliber of talent. Like, I'm not kidding when I say it. Like, James um, Michael Tyler, Gunther from Friends, mm-hmm. I had no idea till he passed away that he was a bulldog. Mm-hmm. Um, I just feel like I'm always learning people who went to UGA. Uh, I obviously loved my time there. I'm very honored to be part of the family. Mine was a story of happenstance that I ended up there. Um, so it's so funny to me when I read that it's like a, a, a public ivy because, to me, it was like the school that the state was going to pay for me to go to. And it's the only school I had the money to apply to. So I'm so grateful I got to go there. I'm grateful I get to be like among this list of people, although I'm obviously not as notable as these people are. Um, But most importantly, thank you, Selena, for letting me have this moment. I am thrilled to have the opportunity to talk about uh, UGA and share this. And um, that's this week's Extra Sugar.